0: It's a joy to be here with you this morning. Would you turn with me to Jonah, the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Young people, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. We'll turn to the book of Jonah. Don't you know Jonah's story? It's a great story. It's a true story. The Lord Jesus' Um, referred to Jonah as an actual person. It's not a fable. Uh, Today we'll do four questions from the book of Jonah. Four questions and here are the questions. Four questions. Who was Jonah? Who was Jonah? Why was he in the belly of the great fish? Okay. How did he get out? How did Jonah get out of the belly of the great fish? And fourth, how can we learn to worship God through the account of Jonah's, uh, of God's dealings with Jonah? Four things, four questions. Okay, I hope you've found your place in, in the book of Jonah. So let's, let me ask the Lord to meet with us, and would you also do the same? Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy that is new every morning. Lord, we thank you that you pursue us in love, in mercy, in justice. Jonah's God is our God, and today We acknowledge that we wouldn't be here without your constant pursuing of us. And so, Lord, would you come this morning? Would you meet with us? Would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law? Would you give me the grace of self-forgetfulness? Would you help me uh, teach and preach what is true, what is lovely, because Jesus, you are altogether lovely. Would these people today see you high and lifted up? Would you work in this way despite me? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So I hope you're in the book of Jonah. Who was the prophet Jonah? Who was the prophet Jonah? Let's read here. Jonah 1, verse 1. Jonah 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's what we know about Jonah. Uh, Right here, off the bat, Jonah was the son of Amittai. And we know, too, young people, don't we, that Jonah was a prophet, right? Uh, Many, most of the books, the prophetic books in the Bible, are about the prophet's work. What did the prophet prophesy? And how did it come to pass? Jonah is mostly about the prophet himself, okay? So who is this man? If you turn to 1st kings or rather 2nd kings 14:25 2nd kings 14:25 we'll learn a little more about Jonah 2nd kings 14:25 <clears throat> from here from 2nd kings 14:25 we we understand that Jonah uh, prophesied something very special. See here, this is uh, in Second Kings, we're told about the reign of Jeroboam II. And we were told here, I'll read from verse 24, He, that's Jeroboam II, the king, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And and look here, he says, He, as a king, restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Jonah here, we learn that Jonah prophesied that Jeroboam II, this king, this evil king, we're told here that he was an evil king, he would expand Israel's borders, strengthen Israel's borders. Jonah prophesied that and it was fulfilled, right? And according to Israeli Jewish culture, when a prophecy comes true, the prophet is exalted in the eyes of the people, right? So Jonah here, we see, was a man with nationalistic fervor. He loved his country. He loved his people. He loved the God of Israel, right? So now let's go back to the narrative, back to Jonah, back to Jonah. So we see here in Jonah 1 verse 2 that God's word came to the prophet Jonah and God's, God says, arise Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah presumably was in Israel God's word comes to him. Here's this man with uh, intense, nationalistic, patriotic feelings for his country. And he says here, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. This is a foreign, a pagan city. Nineveh, Ninevites were hated by much of Israel, they were enemies of Israel. But God says, Jonah, I'd like you to get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it, preach against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, just a little context here you know I, I i we i had us turn to second kings 14:25 you know bible scholars say this about jonah okay they say that from second kings 14:25 we know that jonah had called israel's king jeroboam to pursue an expansionist military policy to extend the nation's boundaries His contemporaries, so these are contemporaneous prophets, Amos and Hosea, were against the corruption of the royal administrations. In other words, these two prophets, Amos and Hosea, they spent much of their ministry calling for uh, the royal family, the administration to repent, to turn to the Lord. Jonah, on the other hand, seems to have overlooked the sin in the royal uh, household. Jonah, however, appears to have deliberately ignored the king's wrongdoing in his nationalistic zeal to build up his country's power and influence. Such a prophet would have been stunned by God's command that he go to the city of Nineveh And preach against it. Do you see this? God chose Jonah for this particular task. So how does Jonah respond? We're told, Jonah 1, 3. How does Jonah respond to the word of the Lord? This prophet, this this man whose prophecy came true, who was a national icon. Verse 3 but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, paired, he, he paid the fare, went down into it, and it says here he want, his goal was to go away from the presence of the Lord. Interesting. He's a prophet. He's a prophet, but he wanted to get away from the urge that the Lord had placed on his heart to go to Nineveh, okay? So, now, there are th- four levels of disobedience uh, and rebellion that I have seen in Jonah chapter 1. Four things that Jonah did in response to God's word. And this helps us understand the man. By the way, you know, uh, in the international class, we spent a semester uh, learning, reading about the prophet Jonah and, and worshiping the Lord through it. You are like Jonah too. Let's not be quick to point fingers at this prophet. You and I are just like Jonah Sometimes, oftentimes, perhaps, the God that speaks to us, we don't like. We like the theoretical God. We like the God of systematic theology. But experientially, haven't you felt this way? That, Lord, really? Do you really want me in this place? Do you really want me to love this person? Do you really want me to move to this place? Do you really want me in this job? Do you really want me with these co-workers? I don't like it. I don't like it. Do you really want me struggling in this health situation? Jonah is like us. The next thing, see, it says here, verse 4, The Lord hurled... This is something that the Lord does. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now he's in the ship, right? He's out on sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship, threat- this was a great storm. Even the ship threatened to break up. In fact, one Hebrew scholar says in the original language, the way it appears, by the way, the language Uh, as I understand in the narrative, is very picturesque. And here, the the Old Testament scholar says, the language more accurately could be translated, the ship, you know, looking at the storm, this great storm that the Lord had hurled, uh, the mighty tempest, the ship became a nervous wreck. (laughs) That's what happened. That's what happened. And then verse 5, The mariners were afraid. These men, these men trained to be at sea. And each person's crying out to his God. This was a great storm. And then what happened? They're they're pulling cargo. They're throwing it at sea. They're praying. Where's Jonah? (laughs) The prophet. The prophet here says, end of verse 5, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. The prophet was fast asleep. Everyone was praying. His life was in danger, and he's fast asleep. Jonah, by the way, is a man of intense emotions. Can you relate? Twice in this passage or in this story, he's suicidal. You know, man of intense emotion. So, the uh, so then verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So first, Jonah's response to the God of Israel. First, he flees away from the presence of the Lord. We're told that twice. He flees. Second, he doesn't pray. Shouldn't prophets be known for prayer? Here, everybody's praying. He doesn't pray. He'd rather not wake up. He'd rather just sleep. I don't, I intensely don't want to do what you want me to do, Lord. So I'm going to sleep. Don't wake me up. Third, third, then there's no relief, right? There's no relief. God had caused the storm. There's no relief. They said to one another, the mariners here, they said, let us cast lots. Okay, so they cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah, right? So they asked Jonah, tell us, see, they they say here, verse 8, then they said to him, "Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you?" Right again, in, in a collectivist culture, your identity is with your people. So they're asked, "Who are you? What is why, why is it that we're experiencing this because of you?" So Jonah tells, verse nine, and he said to them, "I'm a Hebrew." And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Interesting. My father-in-law uh, is 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 an American pastor, and, and he, uh, he as he was preaching through Jonah, he said, "You know, Joseph, it's true in the Bible when uh, Jewish people or even Christ, you know, in, in, even in the New Testament, when they encounter people with limited exposure." to the God of the Bible, they start with creation, right? And so here Jonah says, I worship the creator God. And then he goes on to to tell uh, the people that he was fleeing, he was trying to flee from God. And look what they say. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? they were afraid right ne- nevertheless it says so number 3 even after even after the lot falls on him and after he tells the people that he's fleeing away from the presence of the lord he doesn't repent does he he doesn't <laughs> repent and four, now the people, they're trying. They're trying. See, it says here, uh, what can we do? What shall we do that the sea may quiet down? Uh, b- because the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And then he says this. <laughs> Verse 12, he says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He'd rather die. Right? And even in chapter 4, he tells the Lord this too. You know, I, I, I do like Jonah. The international class knows this. You know, I, I like Jonah. Right, Rick? I like Jonah. See, he says in chapter 4, the Lord tells Uh, asks him, Jonah, are you right to be angry? Angry that I've forgiven these people. And Jonah says, yes, it's right for me to be angry. Angry enough to die. And here, he's he's suicidal. He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. He doesn't repent. He seems to be willing to die rather Then repent and turn to the Lord. So who is Jonah? How would you answer that first question? Who is Jonah? Jonah is a complex prophet, isn't he? A man who loved God, but didn't really love the true God, the complete God. He tells God, later on in chapter four, he says, "See? <laughs> this is why. I told you, this is what you're like. This is why I didn't want to come, because I knew you would forgive these people. You know? That's why I, I, I don't like this part of you." So four levels of disobedience, four levels of uh, rebellion, Jonah. He fled. He didn't pray the first time. He didn't repent. And then he's willing to die. right? So, now, second question. Why was he in the belly of the great fish? Why? Why? Why was he in the belly of the great fish? We see here, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. As soon as they plunged Jonah in. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Hmm. Just like he said. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Three days and three So why is it, why is it that Jonah was in the belly of the fish? Well, you might say, especially young people, you might say he deserved it. He deserved to be in the smelly entombment of this great fish because of his sin. You know, one one brother, one pastor says this, why did Jonah run? He says, the answer is, Jonah was an idolater. An idolater. And he says, Jonah's idolatry was of a very complex kind, he says. Jonah had a personal idol. By the way, an idol is anything we worship, anything we revere, anything we nurture, apart from God, that we believe gives us security, joy, and power. Don't you have idols in your life? I do. What what were Jonah's idols? This, This brother says Jonah had a personal idol. He wanted ministry success more than he wanted to obey God. Also, Jonah was shaped by a cultural idol. He put the national interests of Israel over obedience to God and the spiritual good of the Ninevites. Finally, Jonah had a religious idol, simple moral self-righteousness. He felt superior to the wicked pagan Ninevites. He didn't want to see them saved. Jonah's cultural and personal idols had melded into a toxic compound that was completely hidden from him. It led him to rebel against the very God he was so proud of serving. Do you agree? Do you see this? Because this can help us. This can help you. As you walk through life, as we walk through life, to diagnose, to understand our own hearts. Isn't it true that the worst enemy You'll ever face is not outside. It's inside. It's you. Have you tried to run away from you? You can't. Right? We need. We need to lean in to God, who is the destroyer of our idolatry. So why was he in the fish? Why was he in the fish? Sure, he. He deserved chastisement, didn't he? He deserved chastisement. But why was he in the fish? Was that really why he was in the fish? He was in the fish because of God's great mercy. Right? God's great mercy. He prays in in chapter 2. So now let's go to chapter 2 of Jonah. This is his prayer. This is his prayer. Jonah prays. This is a beautiful prayer. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So here he prays. Finally, (laughs) in the belly of the fish, He finally prays. You know, has God brought you to circumstances where you cannot do anything else but turn to Him? That's a good spot. It's a good spot to be where there's nowhere else to turn but upward. There's no one else to lean into, to lean on. Except the Lord, Jonah found this true here. see one one commentator says this, The time of Jonah's prayer was when the three days and nights were all but past, feeling himself still safe, though entombed so long in the fish's belly, he takes his preservation so far, as an earnest of God's purpose to grant him final deliverance. Oh, I love that. Jonah says, I think I can pray now because God has preserved me. I'm alive. I'm alive. Three days, supernaturally in the belly of the fish, God must not be done with me. Sure, my idolatries have caused me to look inward, to run away, to, to disobey, to rebel on so many levels. But God must not be done with me. And see what this, this commentator says? His preservation he took as earnest that God would deliver him with finality. So he prays. Let's, let's look at some features of his prayer. This is what he says. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and all the floods surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your side. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. See, he begins to turn to the Lord. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. In the fish, alone, God cornered him. And now he begins to see his heart. And now he begins to turn. He begins to repent. He begins to see a way out, right? He begins to pray. He says, now I will pray. That's repentance, isn't it? Repentance is a change of mind, a change of mind about who you are, who God is, what the world is, that leads to a change of life. And Jonah here repents. Repentance is the way to communion with God. Okay, so how does he get out? How does he get out of the fish? How does he get out of the fish? What do we see here? He sees here in chapter 2, verse 8. For me, this verse is the linchpin for the whole book of Jonah. See what he says, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So Jonah repents. He prays in submission, in acceptance, a prayer of repentance. And then we're told, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay, so how did Jonah get out? How did Jonah get out of the fish? Through the Lord's intervention, right? Through the Lord's intervention, through his prayer of repentance. Brothers, sisters, whatever might be your condition today, maybe you feel far from the Lord. Maybe life's circumstances have have brought you to a place but you don't prefer, you don't like the God who, who's, who's, who's led you so far and who's asking you to do, to, to do things that are hard and painful and uncomfortable. They're uncertain. But in all of this, you and I serve a God of mercy, of loyal love, Jonah's God is our God. If only we will trust. If only we will lean on him. Right? Jonah's God is our God. And the path back to God is repentance. Right? So, three questions. Right? Three questions. And we'll go to the fourth one. Who was Jonah? You think you have a better sense of who Jonah is? Why was he in the belly of the great fish? Because of God's mercy, wasn't it? How did he come out of the belly of the great fish? Again, because of God's mercy as Jonah turned to God in repentance. So finally, finally, last thing, fourth, how can we worship God through this account? How can you and I, right there, wherever you are. How can you worship the God of Jonah? Well, two things. Two things, I think, that we can learn from this passage. and We can worship God, this great God, the God of steadfast love and kindness, loyal love, loyal love, even toward outsiders, people that don't look like you and me, people that have spent their lifetimes in idolatries, in wickedness. Jesus loves these people. So what can we learn? Two things. First, doesn't this, these, these two chapters and Jonah's story in general, doesn't this teach us about our own hearts, that our hearts are idolatrous. John Calvin, a great church father, he said, our hearts are idol factories. Do you feel that? The older I get, the more stunned I am at the depravity of my own heart, the schemes of my heart, the feelings of, that 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 rage our hearts are idol factories and an idol is anything apart from god that you look to and i look to that we look to for security for comfort for pleasure right and here's a question brothers and sisters do our idols satisfy can they deliver Ah, uh, maybe for a very, very, very short time. But really do they deliver? So I want to spend just a few minutes on this verse, Jonah 2:8. Would you look at it with me? Jonah 2:8. Jonah chapter 2, verse eight. In your Bibles, if, if you have an ESV, it says, "Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope." Of steadfast love. So I meditated on this verse and I, I looked up several resources and, and, and people say, scholars say, who know the language uh, say, that, 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 that the, the sense here, by the way, in the original idols are not mentioned. What's mentioned is those who nurture, who keep. In fact, the root word there, shamar, is the same word used in Genesis 2, I think it is, where the Lord tells Adam and Eve, go tend to the garden. So the sense here is, if you nurture, if you keep, okay, those who nurture vanities of nothingness, that's what originally it says. There's no mention of idol- idols It's a derogatory term for idols. Idols are false. They're false. They're empty. They don't have meaning. They enslave you. The more you nurture and serve your idol, the more power it has over you. Don't you sense that? This is how the human heart works. We are idol factories. And number two, Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake the hope of steadfast love. Or, or in other words, when we, pay, when we give in to our idolatries, we mutually exclude God's steadfast love and mercy that could be ours. That could be ours. Here you see Jonah couldn't help himself. The idols on the ship couldn't help himself. Couldn't help him. God did. Right? God showed steadfast love in providing this great fish. And then commanding the fish, speaking to the fish, to vomit Jonah out. Isn't that how it works in your life, Christian? We turn in, we give in to our idolatries. We realize, ah, how empty, how foolish of me to give in to these idolatries. They don't satisfy. In fact, they enslave me. And then the Lord gently nudges us, he trains us to renounce ungodliness, to turn to truth, to turn to him, to turn to his person, right? This is how our heart works. Secondly, Jonah's story reveals to us the love of God who is come Please listen to this. Jonah's story reveals to us the love of God, that is committed. God is committed to weaning us out of our, off of our idolatries. He's committed. When you became a Christian, that is God's commitment to everlasting commitment. He's committed to you. He will work with you as much as you let him to wean you off your idolatries. And that's how, that's what he did for Jonah. How do I know? How do I know? Well, wasn't there a greater Jonah? In Matthew chapter 15, I think it is, Matthew 12, 38 through 41, here are the words of the Lord Jesus. It says here, Matthew uh, 12. Then some of the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered him, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Hmm. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, Him, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You know, Jesus Christ is proof positive That God is committed to you. That God is for you. He's not against you. He'll work with you. He'll be loyal to you. And there are two ways, as I've meditated meditated on this. Jesus is better than Jonah, isn't he? Jonah, in the fish, bore consequences of his own sin. Whose sins was Jesus bearing when he was entombed in the heart of the earth? Yours, mine. Jonah went unwillingly to Nineveh. Jesus came willingly. He left his his perfect, he, he, he left his grasp on God had, didn't exploit it, but he came for you. And third, God, Jesus, unlike Jonah, is a God of compassion. This prophet didn't have compassion, people, on the Ninevites. In the Gospels, the number one emotion that we're told the Lord Jesus had is what? Compassion compassion. He looks at you as a father pities his children, we're told in Psalm 103. So does the Lord pity us. So, brothers, sisters, what a great God we have, a God worth worshiping, a God not worth fleeing from, but coming back to. I want to close today with a poem that one of our brothers wrote here. So in in the international class, as we were going through Jonah, uh, we had an assignment. I'm a professor, so I cannot help it. So one of the brothers here, Drew Peterson, wrote a poem in response, a prayer poem in response to the study of Jonah. And I want to read it to you to commend to you the practice of doing business with the Lord. You can do this too. You might not be able to write as beautifully as Drew Peterson, but you can certainly respond. So I'm going to read it and then close in prayer. As I lay me down to sleep, I do not lie down in peace. For an old piece of my heart and my soul is fighting, pushing for release. This old fragment of my broken soul often tries to break free. And each thought that I give it, gives it power over me. A single breath is all it takes for this piece of me to take hold of my peace and smother it to crush my weary soul. For as I lay me down to sleep, my sins are brought to light. I do not lie down in peace to sleep in the first watch of the night. The accusations begin in earnest, both sins present and sins long past. Each must be examined carefully and in full before the verdict is passed. My sins are many and are ever before me for the universe to view in this latest retrial of my soul in the universe versus Drew. Exhibits A to Z are intentional acts of disobedience, sins of commission, the lusts of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life, in endless repetition. The next thousand or more are the opposite, sins of omission. Each time I failed to do what, was, what I knew was right, each time I bowed to fear, each time I kept quiet, when I should have made a stand. All are now right here. Each moral failure added to the scale increases my soul's heavy weight, a weight that now is crushing me as once again myself I begin to hate. I hate my inability to put my old man's sinful soul to death. I hate that I can both affirm God and fail him in the very same breath, just like Jonah. Surely my continued failure to uphold the letter and spirit of God's law will result in a verdict of guilty on all counts. The accuser's smile spreads across his jaw. Will this finally break? The balance between infinite justice... And unending mercy, and cause the righteous judge, my savior, to turn his back and curse me. God's truth is twisted with fiction. Oh, I cannot see. Drew, did you have to do this, brother? In the deepening darkness of midnight, I do not lie down in peace to sleep in the second watch of the night. The trial continues as the accuser now hurls unending accusations, heaping coals of fire on my head, a tormenting conflagration. Surely you don't believe you can actually be redeemed. Come, let's be serious. How could the creator of the universe love one whose sins are so nefarious? Your failure to remain free from the stain of sin must mean you weren't genuine. When you cried out for salvation from your sins, your lies will hem you in. (laughs) Perhaps the old snake is right. Perhaps I cannot be redeemed. Perhaps the truths I've known all my life are not what they seem. Any hope of sleep now fades as I feel now that he is right. I do not lie down in peace to sleep in the third watch of the night. My mind is now in tatters, and as my heart and soul fill with fear, a quiet whisper comes through the darkness, a whisper only my soul can hear. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. I am the good shepherd. You're my sheep. You're the branches. I'm the vine. This little light of the darkness, like a beacon on a hill, cuts through the deep black. My tears are flowing freely as I lay helpless on my back. I cry with countless others, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And finally, the case is settled. The court adjourned, and I begin to feel relief. The wages of my sins is death. The ultimate price has to be paid. But now I remember that all my sins were on my Savior laid. My life is not long enough to spend giving thanks for his infinitely loving gift. All I know for sure is that once again my life must shift. I must spend this coming morning showing others Jesus' light. In peace I lay me down to sleep in the last moments of the night. There is a greater Jonah, and he's committed to you.